Hey there, top fans. It's Bill from Top Fan Rivalry again. Again, I I keep saying the same thing. We got another new face in the clubhouse. We're excited. This one is unique because it is a Giants slash Mets fan. And I'm going to let him explain that to you. But Eric, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me on, Bill. It's a pleasure. Yes, I'm excited. So, Eric, you're going to have to tell me, how did we become a Giants and a Mets fan? Well, it goes back a little further than that, because when I was growing up in New York, um, the only game in town was the Yankees. The Dodgers and Giants had already left. So when you're six, eight, ten years old and you like baseball and Mickey Mantle's running around center field, hitting home runs and patrolling the outfield, he was my guy. Mickey Mantle is still my, my favorite player to this day. But then I'm from Long Island and uh, the Mets became a team and I became a Mets fan. I continued to like the Yankees. Um, and I, the last game I ever went to was a game when Mickey Mantle, when they retired Mickey Mantle's number. And that was kind of the beginning of the, my end of liking the Yankees. It's just because Steinbrenner took over. I didn't like what was happening with the economics of the game. And obviously that was just the beginning. And now, you know, we all know about the economics of the game, but I was a huge Mets fan. <clears throat> I moved to San Francisco. Um, well, I came out to San Francisco, um, after college. The only time I'd go to Candlestick Park is when the Mets were in town. Then I had a couple of kids and we went to a game. My daughter was eight. My son was four. It was against the Mets. And Rachel brought like a thousand books because she knew she was going to be bored by this thing. And by the third inning, David and his friend were running up and down the, the steps of Candlestick. And Rachel was like this. I mean, she was thoroughly mesmerized. Her eyes never left the field. And the only thing she read that day was my score, the score uh, card that I bought, the program and the scoreboard. And, you know, after a few years, she wound up working for the Giants by the time she was 14. And uh, let me just say that while I don't publicly acknowledge whether I'm a Giants fan more than a Mets fan, in 2000, when the Mets and the Giants played each other in the playoffs, and my kids turned to me and said, okay, old man, which is it, the light side or the dark side? <laughs> At least I will publicly tell them I'm a Giants fan. Oh, wow. Wow. So, Eric, what I love about that story is the familial part of it. I have to say that 97% of these that I do on this podcast, when I ask that same question, they will say something. Grandma and grandpa used to take me. My dad took me. My cousins used to take me. Um, and it was it was phenomenal. In fact, one person that um, that you'll see that's a Mets fan uh, on the podcast, her name's Sarah. She talks about you haven't really lived in baseball unless you had to walk down the bleacher stairs in Shea. I've never been to Shea. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it was not the funnest of walks. So, but that's, I well, love the family. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, clearly my experience in, in writing the book has been that baseball and family are so integrally connected. Um, and that was just, uh, I don't think really astonishing to me, but it just became really clear that baseball, I think far more than any other sports, has that, that family dynamic. And, you know, you just you could talk with family or friends 
about the generations. I mean, you know, time, it's the history and so much of his <clears throat> is connected with, with family. Yeah. And, and top fans, I, um, Eric just mentioned it and I'm going to bring it up now and he's going to give us a treat here in a second, but he's also an author and he wrote a book called Bases to Bleachers, which is a phenomenal book. Um, I've thumbed through a little bit on, on the internet, um, but he's going to actually read us two stories at the end of this interview. And I would highly encourage you to go take a glance at it. Um, I'm sure you can get it pretty much anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but it is the, for the baseball purist out there, this is a great <laughs> book to, to have out there. So, okay, Eric, you're welcome, Eric. Okay. So we talked about, you just, you talked about Mickey Mantle being your favorite player of all time. I can <clears> understand <throat> that, especially from where you're from. Um, current favorite player. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what I wanted to say is Tom Seaver as a Met fan was also was kind yes. of my, my second favorite player. Interestingly enough, I don't ever remember seeing Mantle play or Seaver pitch, although I know I did. And it's just kind of, it really bothers me that I can't remember that or I can't remember even my first game. Um, my current favorite player, interestingly enough, I'm wearing the shirt with his name on it. I'm not gonna turn around, but, um, and he, he, he has retired, but it was Matt Cain. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure that I'm ever gonna have another favorite player. I mean, I feel like I'm almost too old for that. You know, it'd be very easy to say, oh, Buster Posey, who obviously is retired now too. And Patty and I like Buster Posey. And I love David, uh, Jacob deGrom. And, you know, all these guys. I don't know that I will ever like, have another favorite player again. Yeah. And the, the reason I like Kane so much is because he went out there game after game, got lousy support, um, there's a, a term here in the Bay Area, I don't know how nationally known it would be, but he got caned yeah. because he just, you know, he just, um, he threw his heart out. And I think that if he had any support, I mean, it was a little bit like Ron Darling didn't get support and Jacob deGrom, right, winning Cy Youngs with, with nine victories. He got very little support. I think with, with better support, Kane probably would have won 120 games, 125 games instead of the... I think 99 that he won. Um, and it's really funny because we went to the last game of the season, the last game of the year that he, after he, which was going to be his last game. And we knew he was going to be starting that game. And Bill, it was almost like a perfect game for him. He pitched five innings, the last reputedly on fumes and adrenaline. He gave up one run and he got the loss. And it was just, uh, it was like it was like a perfect farewell for for Matt Cain. Yep. Yeah. And, and he never he never complained. That's what that's what made me like him so much because he never complained. If they lost one to nothing, he said I shouldn't have given up that run. You know, it was never blaming anybody else. He always took responsibility for himself. Yeah, and and I have to tell you, as a Dodger fan, Matt Cain was always trouble because for some reason he was a Hall of Famer every time he pitched against the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And then he'd have those, like you say, he'd get caned everywhere else, but never against the Dodgers. <laughs> so, but I'm, you're right. Matt Cain actually played <clears throat> the game right. There's, there's a number of guys that just play it right and don't complain. Um, there's guys like Dustin Pedroia, right? Guy always just laced it up, got dirty, played it right. You didn't, you know, you've got pitchers though out there like John Lackey that would be all up in your face. I can't believe I, you know, so I love that. That's a great call. That is a great, great call. 
He was he um, was he was our guy. And I'll tell you, we were in the giant store one day, and David was buying a jersey. My son was buying a jersey, and he had Lincecum jersey. And he looked at me, and said, "I know I should be getting a Kane jersey." So, there you go. He there didn't, go. but he knew he should have. He knew he should have. Well, I have to I have to tell you something as a Giants fan, um, and as a former Yankee fan, I did a podcast. Uh, with a guy named Mikey. Uh, Mikey Bleeds Blue is what he uh, goes by on Instagram. And um, his cousin, and her name is Salty Jen, because she's a huge Giants fan. She lives up there in the Bay Area. She's a huge Giants fan. She gets salty every time Mikey kind of rubs it in and type thing. And so I just sat back and let the familiar dynamics go. But I asked her, I said, is Buster Posey a first ballot Hall of Famer? And she said, absolutely, 100%. And I didn't think about this, but Mikey jumped up and says, no way. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. So here's one on for you since, you know, being a being a, a former Yankee fan. If Buster's in, how come Thurman Munson never made it in? Their numbers are almost identical. Well, you haven't asked me if my opinion is Buster Posey going to be in the Hall of Fame. Is Buster Posey going to be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think it's a lock. To be honest with you now, you know, well, I mean, he was I great like and he, he was one of the standout catcher, uh, catchers of that era. Did he play long enough and accumulate the stats that we know always go into the mix in Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Not really. Um, did he represent this team that won three World Series and he won his silver slugger and comeback player and most valuable play? Yeah, those in, you know individual accomplishments were there. I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. But in answering the question, will he get in? I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm just surprised that Jeff Kent has gotten so little support. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. I, not a lock, but I mean, he gets 15% of the vote or something. And I, I find that astonishing. I mean, he did, right, what they always say you have to do to be in the Hall of Fame, which is he dominant. He was dominant in his position for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think, will I think Posey get in? Do I think Posey will get in? I do, but if you're asking me, does he have the stats? I don't. I don't know, and I don't know about Thurman Munson. I I don't know. I mean, he was so, kind of playing when the Yankees weren't that great, right? Yeah, and well, but they won two World Series, right? Okay. 77, 78. Um, but what's interesting is is I thought Mikey was crazy. So the next morning, as I'm getting ready to put up a podcast, I looked at the numbers, and Eric almost identical across the board. Almost identical across the Posey and Munson. Yeah, so Munson has more hits. Posey has more home runs by 20. But Munson was averaging 18 to 20, and he only played 11 seasons. Posey played 12. So we'll call that a wash. Yeah. Right? And then you go back and forth. It's almost identical. And so that's it. Sometime when you're bored and you're just on the Internet, look up those numbers. I think it'll find – I think you'll be impressed by that. I will. And catchers are obviously kind of an underrated, underrepresented position, right? Yeah. 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 All right. So let's, let's take it from you to ballparks. Can you tell me which ballparks you've been to? Yeah. um, I will tell you the cities that I've been to a ballpark in, in other words, I have not been to the new Atlanta stadium, but I was at the previous one. Okay. Um, I've been to 24 ballparks. Um, The ones I haven't seen, are the two in Texas. I've been inside the TROP, but not for a game. I was just there. Somebody was had access to it and was taking me around. 
And then I haven't been to Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. And I'm pretty sure I go through this all the time. I'm pretty sure those are the only six that I have not been to. Yeah. And those are all gorgeous ballparks, by the way. Except, and I said this to the Rays fan that I interviewed last week, except for the Trump. And he even admits it. He's like, the Trump is a terrible place to watch a baseball game. <clears throat> um, I went one time when Mariano Rivera was retiring about six years ago. And it was a twilight game. It started about four o'clock in the afternoon. And Brett Gardner lost two fly balls in the outfield. Because you just, that, that dome is white, as you know. Imagine trying to see with a blue sky in the background. Imagine trying to see something. And it's just. Well, dome, domes are just so weird anyway. I mean, I remember the first time I went to a dome stadium, it was, I guess, it was the previous uh, stadium in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like I was in a circus tent. I mean, it was just, it was just so bizarre. The the billowing, you know, pillows, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It was just, it was very weird. I mean, the stadium, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, what are the stadiums I'd like to go to. I mean, Pittsburgh is clearly, um, the number one on my list of stadiums I want to visit. Yeah, Pitts, Pittsburgh and Great American Ballpark out in Cincinnati. Those are gorgeous parks. Right. It, it's, unfor- it's unfortunate both of those teams this season will probably lose triple digits, but they're, they're right. great ballparks. Um, the uh, the ballpark, and you might agree with this, you may not. The My least favorite ballpark in all of baseball, Oakland Coliseum. I actually, I was thinking, again, I'm sorry, finish, yeah. No, 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 that's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, I don't tend to rate, I mean, people said Shea Stadium was awful. It's where I grew up, it didn't really ever, and of course I was a kid, so it didn't really, I wasn't assessing it in the same kind of way that I might now. Oakland's, you know, once you get into your seat, it's okay, but the experience is just not a great one, and there's all kinds of stuff that goes on with the plumbing and below that we don't know about unless we read about it. Um, Oakland is, is not a, not a great, not a great place to be. <clears throat> I I was in town staying at the, uh, the Oakland Hilton right there off by the airport. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in there for business. This is 15 years ago or so I was in, for, <laughs> I was in for business and I had one of those days that everything I touched turned to rust. We've all had them. Right. But it's too early in the night to be able to say, let's pack it in. I'm just going to. So I ordered room service at four o'clock in the afternoon. And a coworker was with me and I called him up and he's from the Bronx and called him up. And I said, what do you want to do tonight? I mean, this has just been a bad day. And he goes, uh, the Yankees are in town playing the A's. Perfect. I used the corporate card, bought a couple of tickets. I'm sure it's a great football stadium. But when I can buy more Ricky Henderson gear as a Yankee than as an A in the Oakland Coliseum, I know something's wrong. <laughs> well, you have to really feel sad for that fan base because, yes. I mean, I mean, how could you really be loyal to that team that every time they're any good, it's kind of like what the Pirates did 12 years ago when every time they developed, particularly outfielders, right, they traded them. Yeah. And I thought with McCutcheon, that was the last time they were going to stop doing that. But, you know, but at the A's, I mean, well, you know what they did this year? They got rid of everybody. A's in the uh, in the ra- or uh, in the Reds. I don't understand what either club is doing, but hey, maybe they're geniuses. Maybe they know something we don't know. Who knows? Um, okay, so my friend, um, this has been fantastic, but I need to turn to your book. And so, would you be kind enough to read me a story or two out of your book and and tell us a little bit about it? Top fans, this is 
this is a huge treat because we have an author on now and this is based uh basis the bleachers and i think that it's fantastic so if you haven't gotten it run out and get it but would you be so kind to do that are you okay with that oh absolutely it would be okay. it'd be my pleasure and thank you um this yeah. is the book it's called basis to bleachers yep and uh just to set this up, it's a um, it's a collection of people's uh, baseball memories, their stories that in some way or another touch upon baseball. And I, 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 to clarify, what I mean is the book is not um, heavy on play of game stuff. There certainly is some of that. For example, there are three stories, each about a single Roberto Clemente throw. They're all different. They're all different throws, but three people, their favorite baseball memory was a Roberto Clemente throw. So that obviously tells you something about Roberto yeah. Clemente's arm um, yeah. and how meaningful it was. But <clears throat> it's the book, as my friend describes it, is it's more of a of a human interest book in a baseball jersey. And I I absolutely love that description. And there were, um, I got 1,250 stories from around the world. There are stories from, from 14 different countries. And it really is a look at baseball from the fan's perspective. And uh, that's what I think makes this book uh, really unique. So I'm going to start this, this, I'm going to read the first story I read is from a friend of mine who I asked uh, about, about a story. Um, we had just reconnected after several years. We were work friends. I had mentored her. Um, and she said, I don't really have any stories, but send me your book description. And I'll send it to my friends. You'll get lots of stories. And I never got any stories from any of her friends, but I got this one from Sarah. Perfect. I am not a fan of any sports. I've been to a few baseball games, but only when I would get free tickets and go for the experience of drinking beer, eating stadium food, and having a good time with friends. It's not that I don't like baseball. I just don't know much about the game, who the players are, or many of the rules. I was in Chicago for a job corps conference, and meeting my friend Pearl in the back of a bar in the bar of a hotel where I was staying. When I got to the bar in the late afternoon, there were just a few people there, but not Pearl. An older gentleman was sitting alone at the bar, and I felt it would be safe to sit with him, as I preferred not to sit alone. I asked if I could join him while waiting for my friend. We had a few drinks, chatted about life, my job, the fact that I liked working with young adults, and that I was excited to see my friend who I hadn't seen for quite a while. He shared little about himself. I was just glad that I felt comfortable with him and that we could sit there together. When Pearl showed up, I turned to the man and said it was nice to meet him, although we didn't know each other's names. I introduced myself and he said, nice to meet you, Sarah. My name is Ernie Banks. We shook hands and I went to meet my friend. My friend a native Chicago and asked who I was talking to. And when I told her, she started to shake a little bit and asked me if I know who Ernie Banks was. I said, well, yes, it's the man over there at the bar. And she said, that's Ernie Banks? That's Mr. Cub. You gotta go ask him for his autograph. He's the most famous Cub player ever. So I wandered back over and said, Mr. Banks, my friend over there tells me I need to get your autograph. You're Mr. Cub? You must have been one great basketball player. Well, that sure made me laugh. And he said it was great to be in Chicago, having a casual conversation with someone who had no idea who he was, then by the way, he played baseball with the Cubs, not basketball. He gave me an autograph and wished me luck. We had a good conversation, a few laughs and fun moments, two strangers keeping each other company on a slow afternoon in a bar. How many people could say that? 
Everyone to whom I tell that story laughs as soon as I mention Ernie's name, and they can't believe I had no idea that the Cubs were a ba- that the Cubs were a baseball team. I still have that autograph somewhere. He even wrote, "Good luck with Job Corps." And a year after the book came out, um, Sarah Sarah West is a story author. Sent me, she found the autograph of Ernie Banks. And the reason I always start with that story is because when I got it, I thought, oh my God, what a great story this is. And then the second thing I thought was, but there's no place for it in the book. And the third thing I thought was, there has to be a place for it in the book because the story is too good. And that story was instrumental in making me entirely rethink the project. And I recognized that I needed to make my structure fit the stories that I got and not fit my stories into some kind of a predetermined structure. <clears throat> and that's why I always read this, that story. Love it. Love it. And uh, here's the other one that I'm going to read. Um, it's, it's part of a, of, a, of a free grouping story that's in the book. It's in a chapter called Triples. It's three stories that in one way or another have something to do with each other. And uh, this, is, this is the story. These are all um, environmental in, in, in nature. It was the hottest baseball game I'd ever been to, and I'm from Texas, so that's saying something. Washington, D.C., 4th of July, 2011, 11 in the morning start time. It was me and the guys, my boyfriend David, four of our friends, and David's father, Eric, who was in town visiting. Around the top of the second, we were all settled in, quickly warming beer in hand, and really starting to feel the heat. The sun was beating down and we could feel ourselves roasting. I was sitting next to Eric and I offered him some sunscreen. He squeezed the tube and all of a sudden, a large large blob arced toward the head of the woman in front of us. We both saw it happen in slow motion, but there was no stopping it. This woman was gonna get sunscreen in her hair or actually right on the small part in her hair. It made contact, stuck, and the woman didn't turn around. She sat watching the game clapping, seemingly unaware. We sat there slack-jawed, me trying not to laugh hysterically, and Eric saying, oh my God, what did we do? At this point, I was thinking, we? I had no part in this, but I only known Eric for about four months, and I knew I should try to help. I told her we should probably tell this poor woman she had sunscreen that looked like bird poop on top of her head that was already beginning to congeal. Eric was too embarrassed, and he said we should leave it and hope it evaporated. Now, I'm no chemist, but at this point I was thinking, there's no way this congealing liquid is gonna turn into gas and magically let us pretend it hadn't happened. Eric would not be convinced. Instead, we spent the rest of the game sweating our butts off, rooting for the giants who were under some sort of curse at Nationals Park and torturously watching sunscreen dry and adhere to this woman's scalp. But hey, we're going with, maybe we help protect her from cancer. And Eric and I have that bonding experience to joke about to this day. And you would think that Lisa would have kind of started to figure out what she was getting involved with, but no, she went ahead and married my son and, uh, and <laughs> they gave us a granddaughter. So we're very, very glad that she didn't, uh, let that get to her too much. Didn't get to her too much. That's awesome. And those are examples of stories that they have something to do with baseball, yeah. but only something. Yeah. I, I love those. I love, stories that's that's what top fan rivalry is all about it's a fan based community it's not something you're going to get on mlb i love that so top fans those of you that are listening to this i will when i post um 
when I post about Eric's episode coming up, I'll also post his book information on there where you can get it, how you can get it. Um, and just those are great things to have. Those are great memories to have. Eric, thanks for sharing that with us. That was fantastic. Oh, what a, what a pleasure it is for me. And just to let your fans know, anybody watching this is my second book is coming out, but I suspect there'll be a third. So if anybody wishes to send me a story, um, you see at least a, a little inkling of what they're about, which is it's not like, well, I went to this double header and there were 17 runs scored and you know the run is on the bases all the time. It, it's more human nature. And anybody who wants to get the book for me, a signed copy for me, you know, I, I, I send them out. So, you know, I could give you my contact information later if you want to, if you yeah. want to include that. Top fans will work on that. Uh, exactly. If anybody has uh, click onto the link and um, we'll work on, on details on getting you signed copies. That'd be fantastic. Eric, as we're concluding, we've, we've talked about you. We've talked about ballparks. We've talked about favorite players, we've talked about your book. Now we're, we're coming close to the season starting. By the time this airs, the season will have started. But what are you looking forward to most about the 2022 baseball season? Well, as a Met and a Giants fan, I mean, I'm obviously looking for the Mets to have some kind of a resurgence. They've certainly spent a lot of money um, <clears throat> and they're already being faced with injuries. I mean, who knows how long DeGrom is going to be out. Um, as a Giants fan, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can come even close to what they did last year. I mean, anybody who follows baseball knows that that was an insane season that literally nobody could have predicted. Uh, they did very little to, uh, to improve themselves this offseason. You know, they lost Gaussman. They got Rodon, somewhat of a wash. Um, they lost Posey. Uh, they lost Bryant. Uh, they didn't really help themselves. They didn't improve offensively at all. I mean, they got Jock Peterson, who has... Probably more pop than the rest of their outfielders, but you know he adds maybe this much more. It's not like they, not like they signed a huge bat that they didn't already have. I'm curious to see if if the uh, if the chemistry that Gabe Kaplan ha Kapler has astonishingly created in that team. I'm looking to see if it translates. If they can if they can do it again. You know when the Giants won their three World Series. I mean aside from the fact that I'm a Giants fan, I thought it was good for baseball. Because in none of those years were they the best team in baseball. Mm -hmm. They just weren't. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people will talk about Bumgarner versus, Kersh versus uh, uh, Kershaw. Bumgarner isn't Kershaw. Bumgarner's a great pitcher. He's not Kershaw. Mm -hmm. He just isn't. And um, the Giants were never the best team in any of those years. And they weren't a 107-win team last year, but they were. And... I, I'm just really anxious to see, you know, what, how that's going to go. I mean, they're already being predicted for third place again, and <clears throat> that may be the case. Yeah. And maybe not. Who knows? Well, I, I, will, I will make a very bold statement here, but I've said it on a couple other podcasts. I actually think the best rivalry in baseball is not the Yankee Red Sox, although that gets the most media attention. I think it's the Dodgers Giants. And so it's good for baseball when we're coming down to the end right like last season it's good for baseball uh you know i've, I've interviewed a, a white Sox fan and he said that he loved last season because you know the white Sox were able to to basically run away with it but at the end of the day they got in the playoffs and they they got eliminated immediately because they weren't playoff ready because they had, you know had so much right. success i think it's best um when the dodgers and giants are 
down. I also like it better when the Dodgers finish one game ahead of the Giants, but no. <laughs> you know, I was at the last playoff game. Oh, the game that a game that ended with that. Let's just say questionable call from the other. Oh, he didn't swing. I'll tell you, as a Dodger fan, he didn't swing. Okay, of course but he didn't I, swing. Listen, I mean. <clears throat> But it's interesting. I didn't come away from that all depressed. I mean, I came away thinking, well, first of all, you should never be depressed about sports. I mean, that's kind of my, my feeling about that. Right. But I didn't come away bummed out because, I mean, think of what would have still have had to happen for the Giants to win that game. I mean, Flores still would have had to get a hit. And if he didn't hit a home run, there would have had to have been two hits. You know, I mean, it was a terrible call. A season should never end that way. But that's yeah. not to say that we we would have won otherwise. It was a, it was a hell of a season and a hell of a rivalry. Yeah. I always tell what I used to coach high school baseball and I used to, I used to tell my players and I, I actually was at a, a game last month um, between two Southern California teams, two Orange County teams. Um, and it was interesting because one team was not ranked. The other team was nationally ranked. They were in the top 10 and, mm -hmm. A bad call at first base called the, the the not ranked team at the time the batter out. If he would have been safe, a run would have scored from third. The very next inning, the team that was nationally ranked hit a walk off. The a guy got up, walked, stole, got second on pass ball, and then a guy got a blue single and they scored. It was walk off. As I'm walking to the car, two guys that were on the losing team are complaining to what I assume was their dad. And they said, oh, can you, dad's like, yeah, he was safe. And, and I just wanted, I didn't, but I wanted to turn around and say to the father, this is your teaching moment. This is your moment where you tell the kids, if the umpire has to decide the game, you didn't win the game. Right. And so this is it. But the dad was feeling the fire. And I just, I wanted to strangle the dad and just say, please be a father. Use this as your teaching moment for a second. And just like when um, Morris swung but we got it got called a ball a month earlier right with the Dodgers Giants last season Dave Roberts can complain as much as he wants but if a if an umpire has to decide your game for you you didn't win that game and so I mean like you point out right it was bad call but plenty of times where you guys had I think you guys even had second and third one time with nobody out and didn't score oh yeah I mean the, again I I got score the Giants, in so many ways, didn't play great over the course of the year, but they played well enough to win. It was just yeah, 107 games last season. That was just great. A, a, well. That's set. That set their own franchise record. Yeah, no, no, no. It's and it's great. So who'd have thunk it? As Casey Stengel might have said. Yes, exactly. Because all most Giants fan that I talked to, even though they say, "Yeah, I expected this this season." And they're hard to hard. They didn't expect you guys to win. No one expected games. it. Anybody that tells you that is not being truthful. I mean, it's not. You it's got, not possible. You guys expected the Dodgers to run away with it last season. <clears throat> Absolutely. You guys didn't pick up the scraps between you and San Diego and hope to get it. <laughs> not win 107 games. <laughs> I thought that if the Giants finished at 500, that would be a good season for them. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's what that's what we all thought. Yeah. No, it's good. Well, Eric, you have been so kind. Can I get you to come on again? We're going to have a number of different episodes coming up throughout the season. Can I invite you back and will you make some time for us? Anytime. Thank you. Absolutely Thank you. would be would be my pleasure. Next time we could talk about some of the rule changes and uh, why I yeah. hate pretty much every one of them. Yeah. <laughs>
Exactly. Well, we've got a podcast episode coming up that we're going to do, so I'll have to invite you to that one. Um, but top fans, this is Eric Gray. He is the author of Bases the Bleachers. Fantastic guy. He was uh, he contacted me through a mutual uh, person that that we both know, um, and I've been itching to get uh, to him. Eric's been phenomenal with his time and was sharing stories from the book. So by all means, top fans, make sure that you check out the book online, order it. Uh, if you want an autographed copy, I've got Eric's contact information. We'll we'll make arrangements to make something happen there for you. Um, but we'll have him back in the clubhouse. Uh, and it's and it's phenomenal. I love a guy that can tell us the history of the game from the New York perspective and, and the West Coast perspective. And if we had time, sometime we ought to, Eric, sometime we ought to talk about Robert Moses and that move and and how the Brooklyn and, and the Giants uh, how that all played out back in New York. So I'm sure that that didn't sit well with folks. You know, I'm not con that conversant about it. I know about it, but that was, you know, you know, when, when the move took place, that was in 57, right? I was five years old. So, you know, I just know a little bit about it. I don't, you know, and I'm the beneficiary of, you know, being a Met fan of the Giants and, and Dodgers moving. There you go. There you go. Well, top fans, I sure enjoyed uh, having them on. Make sure that you uh, click on the link that is on our social media that will go to his book. Make sure that you have, if you have any questions, reach out. Uh, you can uh, email us at topfanrivalry at gmail.com, or you can go into the Instagram or Twitter and send us a message. I'll be happy to get you in contact with Eric. Eric, again, thank you for your time. Appreciate you being on. Bill, thanks so much for having me. It was a great experience. Thank you.